Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. We've got you covered. An unexpected health condition can happen to anyone at any time, celebrity or not. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these topical conditions. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pop Culture Rx. Today, we are talking about the royal baby. So recently, the world came together to celebrate the newest member of the royal family. On May 6, 2019, which is a couple months ago now, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle welcomed their first child, son Archie Harrison Mountbatten-Windsor. I wish I could say that in a little accent, but I would probably butcher it. And we also have with us to talk through all of your first child and baby needs, Dr. Kristen Allen. She is an OBGYN with Hackensack Meridian Medical Group here in the central and southern region. Did I pronounce that right? Yep. Dr. Allen? Yep. You got it. So first off, I want to start with saying what made you choose OBGYN? Sure. So OBGYN is just such a fun field to be practicing in. You get a great mix of both the obstetrics, so delivering babies and caring for moms throughout their pregnancy and postpartum period. But then with the gynecology side of things, you get to care for women throughout all stages of life from teenage years up through menopause and beyond. And we get the opportunity to do uh, surgeries like hysterectomies and removal of cysts from the ovaries and other procedures that may come up throughout the course of a woman's life. Do you feel like you like one part better than the other? Like, I love delivering babies or I love working with, you know, older women or... Yeah, I love both parts equally, um, which is why I decided to practice as a generalist in OBGYN. There are definitely all sorts of specialists in our field, but for me, it was a good fit to just keep doing both the the obstetric side of things and the gynecology. Awesome. So let's jump right into to Meghan Markle. I have a bunch of questions for you. So first off, Meghan opted to have a home birth as opposed to a normal hospital birth, which is actually even normal for royals. They normally have their births in the hospitals as well. So what's the difference between having a birth, you know, a home birth versus a hospital birth? And are there any other options besides those two? Nowadays, we have a lot of information about the best ways to take care of our pregnant patients and care for them through their delivery and through postpartum. And like you said, there are a variety of options for delivery. Um, The American College of OBGYN and uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, while they do say that the safest recommendation, the most conservative recommendation is to recommend for women to deliver in either a hospital setting or in a birthing center. Um, There are safe ways to go about having a home delivery. So typically a home delivery uh, is attended by a midwife and a, a certified nurse midwife as well as a provider who is certified to care for the newborn baby. And so uh, pregnancies where I think a home birth 
might be considered would be healthy, low-risk pregnancies. The baby has to be in the head-down position at the end of the pregnancy. Uh, the baby has to be full-term, um, typically uh, no more than a, a few days to a week past the due date max, but the safest would be to deliver around the time of the due date. And um, also for the mother to go into spontaneous or natural labor on her own without needing to have the labor induced. Um, we would also want to make sure that the mother didn't have any other medical problems going on like high blood pressure, diabetes, any chronic medical conditions, um, any prior surgeries, any, any history of prior C-sections. Those would all be reasons where we would definitely recommend delivering in a hospital setting just for the safety of uh, both mom and baby. So is a home birth, you know, similar to one that would be in a hospital, like with the bed and the stirrups and the whole nine, or is it more so like those water births that you see on TV? I think it can be both. There are programs in the area that can facilitate uh, a water birth at home if that's what you desire. Um, it's also completely possible to have a home birth using more of a standard bed setup situation. Um, but the important thing about home births is putting a priority on what mom and her family are really desiring for the delivery and making that environment as conducive to her wishes as possible while still maintaining um, you know, all the safety necessary. And whenever there is the plan to deliver at home, um, there should be a backup plan set up with both the mother, her midwife, or other provider. Have a backup for transfer to a nearby hospital if any complications occurred. Yeah. Yeah, God forbid something were to happen, they'd be able to get her right in. Right. So you mentioned midwife. So Megan had a midwife throughout her pregnancy, which now makes sense because in order to have a home birth, you would need a midwife. But what's the difference between a midwife, a doula, a doctor? You know, what categorizes them into being those particular things? So a doula is, in a nutshell, a pregnancy support person. Okay. So some patients will work with a doula throughout their entire pregnancy. Um, some patients just have a doula who helps during the labor process. Some patients have a postpartum doula who helps with things like breastfeeding and uh, caring for the newborn and um, helping mom to care for her own body in the postpartum period. The biggest distinction about a doula is that they are not licensed or supposed to give any kind of medical advice. So they can give encouragement, support. They can, for example, during labor, they can help with pain relief by Things like helping the mom to stretch or position herself or provide massage, but they cannot offer any uh, recommendations or suggestions or opinions about any of the medical care or the medical decisions. Um, so that's kind of the biggest distinction. 
And then with a midwife, a midwife does have medical training, and we typically work with certified nurse midwives who are licensed through um, the national board, and they do have the ability to make medical decisions, to uh, write prescriptions, to refer to uh, a doctor or a higher level of care if necessary. And so that's why midwives who have the right credentials are able to be present and um, be the provider there for a home birth if that's what somebody desires. So a midwife is kind of like a a nurse practitioner, but very specialized. Exactly. what I'm understanding. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way of putting it. And then um, when you then transition to an OBGYN physician, Um, The biggest differences are that um, a doctor can do additional things like a C-section procedure if necessary or other emergency surgeries. Um, And typically um, the training is more... uh, A little more intense. Yeah. (laughs) And um, but... As far as labor and delivery, a lot of we have midwives who work with us in our practice, and they deliver a lot of our patients' babies and um, do a wonderful job. And our patients have wonderful birth experiences with them. And we always have a doctor on backup call in, in case there was a situation where um, the patient needed a C-section or if it was a complicated delivery or something like that. Yeah, just for additional support. So Megan is 37. So her pregnancy was considered to be a geriatric pregnancy. Now, describing someone right. who's 37 <laughs> as a geriatric is just mind-boggling. Right. There are a few. Yeah. Why so is the that? three terms you can use are uh, geriatric pregnancy. You could call her an elderly gravida. Gravida is the word we use for a pregnant woman. Um, I also agree it's a little rude to call somebody 37 elderly. Yes. Um, or the term we use more frequently that I think is probably the most kosher is advanced maternal age. Do women after a certain age have a harder time getting pregnant? This is also super timely because Alanis Morissette just came out that she's also pregnant with her third child and she's 45. Yeah, I did actually see that about Alanis too. Um, So women age 35 and over statistically uh, can have a harder time getting pregnant in the first place um, or they technically have a higher risk of having a, a miscarriage in the first trimester. But we do see women age 35 and over all the time who get pregnant naturally and carry full healthy pregnancies to term. At the same time, though, there are definitely some risks that go along. So moms that are age 35 and over, we do worry about a slightly higher risk of developing things like gestational diabetes or high blood pressure as the pregnancy goes on. We also worry that uh, as these moms get closer to their due date or go past their due date, um, that we want to be seeing them in the office at least every week, um, just to make sure that the baby is still doing okay, because there can be a a slightly higher chance of complications towards the very end of pregnancy. Um, But a lot of the times we see perfectly happy, healthy, normal pregnancies, and um, a lot of these, what we rudely call elderly moms, tend to do really great. Do 
these elderly moms, for lack of better words, do the the babies end up being fine? Yeah, so age 35 and over, again, statistically, there's a slightly higher risk of uh, a baby having problems with the chromosomes, so um, a slightly higher risk of things like Down syndrome um, and other chromosome problems that are similar to Down syndrome. Those, however, are things that we test for in every pregnancy, no matter what, or we at least offer the testing for that. So um, even a mom who's 37, 38, older, uh, they'll have the same testing as everyone else around 12 weeks, usually. And that would tell us uh, right off the bat if there was any increased risk for a problem with the chromosomes or something like Down syndrome. Oh, okay. So you get tested no matter what, basically. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. So what? So you mentioned that you know, thirty-five is kind of your your elderly age. What would be the best age to get pregnant? So the best age is just whatever age is right for you. Um, everyone always says there's not necessarily a right time for everyone. Obviously. If we're talking statistics, being on the younger side can be considered healthier. But like I just said, we see moms all the time who are now a little on the older side and do just fine. The biggest thing about having a healthy pregnancy is just being healthy when you start trying to get pregnant. So for most people, this means getting onto some sort of regular exercise routine, maintaining a healthy, well-balanced diet. If you're thinking about trying to get pregnant, you can start taking prenatal vitamins um, and a folate supplement. Most prenatal vitamins have folate, but uh, you can always add an extra folate vitamin if you want. And if you have other medical problems like high blood pressure or diabetes or another chronic illness where you have to take uh, daily medication, it's usually best to get those things totally in check before you start thinking about getting pregnant. Even if you're not pregnant, you can take prenatal vitamins. Mm -hmm. I know one of my aunts, she was saying how when she was pregnant, her hair was nice, her nails were nice, and she was telling me to start taking prenatal vitamins just because my hair would be nicer. Yeah, the (laughs) prenatal vitamins are kind of the uh, Cadillac of the hair, skin, and nail vitamins, so you can really take them anytime. So Megan used hypnobirthing techniques. I know you're talking about getting body ready. So hypnobirthing techniques and acupuncture and all these things to help prepare her for birth. And I was reading about what these techniques actually mm-hmm. are. And so they are considered special breathing, relaxation, visual visualization, meditative practice, attention to nutrition, body toning. So basically, you know, getting ready for a baby. Um, so what are techniques that you encourage women to try for, you know, prepping their ba- their body to get baby ready? Lots of bees. With the hypnobirthing, one of the biggest pros of doing a method like that is really trying to focus on pain control. So the philosophy behind the hypnobirthing is that it can help moms to kind of mind over matter and control their pain um, using the power of the brain and a little bit of that the hypnosis techniques in order to reduce 
um, the need for things like an epidural or IV pain medication or stuff like that during the labor. Um, but the other things you can try in the lead up to your labor and delivery include everything from a general uh, childbirth class to some of the more specialized classes like Lamaze. Um, there are patients who will go get acupuncture, like you said, or um, uh, see a physical therapist during their third trimester to help relieve the aches and pains of uh, the third trimester of pregnancy. So we really tell our patients that uh, most of these different types of classes and techniques are all totally fine to pursue uh, as long as they're just sharing with us kind of some of the stuff that they're looking into or some of the techniques that they want to incorporate into their labor experience just so that we can all be on the same page. And for the most part, there isn't a whole lot that we would say no to. So we would always tell a patient if we thought that a particular technique or practice was considered unsafe or maybe not recommended. But um, for the most part, all those things that you mentioned are um, really okay yeah, when they're game. yeah when they're done um, with just using open communication with you and your doctor or your midwife. I need you to clear something up for me. So I've always heard that pregnant women can't stand by the microwave. Is that true? Moms in the 80s and 90s were probably told not to do that. Now we're pretty sure it's okay to do. As far as concerns about radiation exposure and uh, those types of things, you can microwave your food. You can go through a metal detector at the airport. Um, most of what we call the baseline radiation that we just encounter every day as human beings in the modern world is such a low dose of radiation that it, it is a minuscule risk to a mom or her baby. Um, at the same time, I remember being little and my parents telling me, don't stand with your yeah. face in front of the microwave. So I guess that's probably always still just a good rule to follow anyways. I don't know that we have the um, science to back it up. But if there's ever an unsafe amount of radiation, your doctor or your midwife will tell you. And usually that comes in the form of something like an x-ray or a CT yeah. scan or something like that. So this is why, you know, if you were to uh, break your ankle while you're pregnant and get an x-ray, they make sure that they put that big, heavy blanket over your yeah. belly to shield the baby. So um, the types of radiation that are out there that are dangerous, we sort of know about and we have ways to prevent it. Um, if it's something that's already in your house and you can't really avoid, the chances are the risk is so low, there's really no no way it's going to harm you or your baby. Awesome. Yeah. Because I use the microwave every day. So yeah. if I heard that, you know, when and when I'm able to get pregnant or when I want to get pregnant that I couldn't use the microwave, that would be a big decision I'd have right. to make, you know, microwave or baby. All of these royal moms are encouraged to breastfeed. What are your thoughts on that? Advantages, 
disadvantages. We definitely encourage breastfeeding for the moms who want to, and the pediatricians also support that choice. At the same time, though, I tell people, do what's best for both you and your baby. Um, There are some moms who breastfeeding just comes easily and naturally and it's never an issue and they can breastfeed for up to a year or longer sometimes. There are other moms who the actual breastfeeding might not really work, but they're able to pump breast milk, which is also great. And you can save that and give it to baby. And then there are some moms who just, uh, for whatever reason, the breastfeeding or the pumping just doesn't quite work out. Um, or there may just be particulars about their baby's feeding where um, the breast milk just isn't going to be the best. And so in those cases, we tell moms, you know, don't worry about it if there's a reason um, that you can't breastfeed or it just isn't working. You have to do what's right for you emotionally, physically, and what's right for baby. So, and babies who end up being formula fed also grow up to be totally fine and healthy. So, um, we just tell moms do what's best for you and your baby once you kind of figure that out. And you also don't have to struggle. If you start off breastfeeding and it works great for a little while and then you start to struggle with it, you know, tell your doctor, tell your midwife, tell your pediatrician, um, because we'd rather you ask and get help or switch to formula instead of trying to struggle and not be able to feed your baby well enough. I was a formula baby and I am doing just Fine. That's very good to hear. <laughs> so in the past, royal families relied on wet nurses. Is that still a thing? Wet nurses are still a thing. And there are also um, donated breast milk banks and uh, sources of donated breast milk. So um, if you are a mom who... For, for some reason can't breastfeed and there are a variety of different situations where this could be the case and if you really feel strongly about your baby being breastfed and still want that to be an option then yeah there are ways of getting either donated breast milk um, or there are babies who are sometimes fed by uh, women who aren't their biological mother but who are lactating at the same time. That's very so, interesting. Yeah. And How does that even work? Any lactating mother can feed a baby. It doesn't necessarily have to be her biologic child. Obviously, this would be another decision we would want, you know, mom to discuss with her OBGYN and um, definitely to discuss with the pediatricians. But if, um, you know, everyone involved is healthy and there's no evidence of any infectious diseases and um, which usually means everyone's had the right blood work done and all of that, um, then yeah, it's a practice that does still exist and can be done safely, um, you know, just with the right precautions. Is it common to do that? Like, do you just knock on someone else's door and you're like, hey, this woman can't breastfeed, mind feeding her baby? I don't think it's quite that common. And um, we don't see a lot of patients who ask about it, but some people do. And so um, there are resources out there. I usually tell people um, start by asking the lactation specialist because they have a lot of these types of resources and can kind of point people in the right direction if um, 
you know, they're looking into uh, a specialized service like that. Megan was in labor for approximately 12 hours. Mm -hmm. What's is that is that a normal time? Is it usually longer, shorter? Yeah. So labors, it's different for everybody. Um, and with a first time pregnancy, first time labor, it can be really hard to predict how long it's going to last. We kind of break labor up into two parts. So there's the early part of labor, which is really going anywhere from uh, the woman's cervix being totally closed to the cervix being about six centimeters dilated. And that process going from zero to six centimeters can take anywhere from a few hours to sometimes a couple of days. And that's usually sort of the long, slow part of labor. And then once the cervix is dilated about six centimeters, that's when we transition into what we call the more active part of labor. And at that point, we usually expect the cervix to dilate about one centimeter every one to two hours. So depending on if it's a a first time uh, delivery or if mom's had babies before. But, you know, we at that point, there's a much more predictable time course. And so if the labor starts falling off that time course, then that's when we start to be worried sometimes that ultimately the baby might need to be delivered by a C-section. Is it true that, you know, when you have a second child that the baby comes faster? Because I did actually a health you story, which is our magazine, Mm -hmm. about a woman who went into labor was at home waiting for her mother-in-law for her other kids, got to the hospital, she lived 10 minutes away, gave birth in her car. Yeah, and that we do hear those stories and we see those stories happen sometimes. Sometimes the second labor just goes much faster. So with a second or third or fourth or whatever labor around, We'll tell people to have a much lower threshold to call your OBGYN if you start feeling contractions or if there is any change at at all in how you're feeling or how often you feel the baby moving. And um, we'll usually be a little bit quicker to get you into the office or into the hospital to get checked if there's any of those early signs of labor that are happening. Has anyone ever, so we're in Dr. Allen's office right now in one of her OBGYN practices. Has anyone ever given birth here, like at the office? In this particular office, since I've been here, it hasn't happened, but we have had a couple close calls in the past year, and people have gotten to the hospital just in the nick of time. Um, But yes, it does happen sometimes that a baby comes out in the office or on the car ride or in the parking lot on their way into the hospital. So yeah, if that's your second time or third or fourth or whatever, then it's better to call or get into the hospital sooner rather than later. And it's it's always okay to come in and get told that it's a false alarm and go home as opposed to, you know, not get there in time. Yeah, and have the baby in a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. Right. So that's all the questions I have today. Anything else you wanted to share or add? Only that I want to see more Archie photos. I know. So hopefully they'll put some more on their Instagram or at their website sometime yeah, soon. Something cute. Well, thank you so much for having us today. Yeah, I'm so glad we finally me. got to chat. Um, And that is it for Pop Culture Rx. 
The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.